0: My name is J. Matthew Barnes. The goal of New Wine is simply this, to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the real world, especially for those of us who are tired of doing it the same old way. This is podcast number 22, and here's the question we'll try to answer this time. According to Ephesians 4, what kind of leaders has Jesus gifted the church with, and what are these leaders like? In our last episode, we talked about how the labor within the church should be divvied up. Should the leaders do it all, or should the people of the church do everything? In order to get at this question, we looked at what Paul had to say in Ephesians 4. We discovered there that Jesus has gifted the church with certain leaders in order to equip the people for works of service. In other words, it's the job of the leaders in the church to make it more and more possible for the people of the church to do the work set out for them by Jesus. So, that's the answer then. The people do all the work. Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. Since the broader picture in Ephesians 4 is all about unity, and since it is, quote, the people, unquote, who are to do the works of service, it only makes sense that the leaders are to participate in in the doing of the works of service, too. They are, after all, part of the people, too. A friend put it to me this way, and I mentioned this in last week's episode. There are two types of people in the church. There are the players, that is, the members and attenders of the church, and then there are the player coaches, that is, the leaders of the church, and the players and the player coaches play the game. No one sits on the sidelines. Well, what are we going to do in this episode? In this episode, we'll investigate who these leaders are in more depth. To get started, let's see what Paul has to say about them from Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors or shepherds, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, etc., Reading this passage leads naturally to the following question. What are these gifted teachers like? What are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers like? In order to answer this question, we'll now turn to each of these leadership types and examine it. Once we are done with that, it might be good to evaluate where the North American church is with regard to these leadership types, And then we'll have a few concluding thoughts about cultivating a more complete leadership team idea within our congregations. Now Paul lists five leaders whom Jesus gives to the church, and here they are. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. These five words that identify the gifted leaders are more akin to roles or functions within the church and less akin to to formal titles given out or earned through work or effort. Let's look at these different leadership types in order. Number one, the apostle. The word apostle in Greek simply means one who is sent. So in a certain sense, every follower of Jesus is an apostle. Since Jesus sends us all out to be and share the good news wherever we might be, wherever we work, we live, and we play, or even if he calls us into a cross-cultural context. However, in the earliest church, beginning in the first century as seen in the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, and others, the word apostle begins to take on a new and more narrow meaning. This can be seen by the fact that only a handful of people are labeled by the word apostle in the New Testament. And here are those people, the twelve, with Matthias replacing Judas, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, Barnabas in Acts 14.14, 14. Andronicus and Junia, who happened to be a woman, were mentioned as apostles in Romans 16.7, and James, the brother of Jesus, was called an apostle in Galatians 1.19, and get this, even Jesus himself was called an apostle in Hebrews 3.1, which makes sense because Jesus was sent by God after all. So it appears that in the earliest church an apostle was not a very common title or role within the church. Just a select few were given this title or had this role. And those who were all appear to be exceptional in one way or another. But something they all have in common is that they are all sent. But sent to do what? I believe that we can say with some confidence that an apostle, as we see in the New Testament, is sent to be an integral part of God's expansion of his kingdom. The twelve, of course, learned directly from the earthly Jesus and were sent out all over the known world, including to Rome, to India, and to elsewhere. Paul and Barnabas were sent all over Asia Minor, and then they were sent out separately from one another, Paul eventually to Rome and Barnabas to Cyprus. We don't have much information about Andronicus and Junia, other than that they were named together, thus it's possible that they were married, and that they were connected to Paul, and that their work at expanding the kingdom landed them in jail. James, the brother of Jesus, was sent to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Peter left, and of course, Jesus was sent by God to reconcile all things back to God through the life of Jesus the death of Jesus, and his resurrection as well. So it's in this light that the church leader who is gifted as an apostle would be someone who is specially sent to expand the kingdom of God. This gifting tends to cause these leaders to engage in entrepreneurial activities within the church, beginning and enlivening movements for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. They're often viewed as catalytic leaders, that is, people who kick start new things within the churches over which they have influence. Most of the time, this sort of le- leader has the big picture in mind, thinking 10 steps ahead of wherever the church is at a given moment. But their future thinking is almost exclusively reserved for helping protect and propagate the missional purpose of the church. That is, the apostle always fights to keep the church on mission with Jesus to seek, save and serve the lost. Biblical examples would chiefly include Peter and Paul. Examples of apostles outside of the Bible could be John Wesley who founded the Methodism movement or Amy Simple McPherson who helped kickstart the modern Pentecostal movement. Here's the second leadership style, the prophet. Unfortunately, our understanding of the word prophet has been greatly hampered by visions of men and women who can predict the future through a variety of methods, such as casting lots, looking into crystal balls, consulting the divine muses, etc., etc. In the Bible, however, the understanding of the prophet was pretty clear. This was a person who served as God's mouthpiece. What they heard God say, they said. So from time to time... God would reveal something about the future to them, so they'd say that. But more often than not, they spoke about the present or even about the past. Here are some very prominent examples. The prophet Nathan scolds King David for his actions that led to committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed in combat. The prophet Amos called out the people of God for abusing the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants. And the prophet Isaiah, among many other things, informed the people of God that their worship was empty without accompanying acts of compassion and love as required by the law. And the list could go on and on and on of prophets talking about the present and or the past. So to put it really straightforwardly, a prophet speaks God's truth, no matter the consequences. Thus, like with an apostle, there is a sense in which everyone who follows Jesus is a prophet, since all of us should be speakers of God's truths. However, Paul said that some functioned especially as a prophet in the church. And one way that this happens is that the gifted leader tends to spend his or her time questioning the status quo within the church. Why? Because he or she sees how the reality of a given congregation is isn't lining up with the truths that God has revealed primarily through the scriptures. The second part of the prophetic gift is the call to reform. Now what good would it be for God to gift people to call out what's wrong with the status quo unless he also gave them a vision for the way that things should be? And the reforms that the prophet calls the people of God to are very often tangible things in nature things like loving our neighbors being involved in issues of justice peacemaking etc etc so prophet's main concern is typically about right behavior though of course correct doctrine and worship are certainly things that they find important too now there are two basic types of prophets at least in my estimation there is the preacher and the voice crying in the wilderness The preacher type of prophet steps into the pulpit each week or at least when he or she is given a chance and engages in godly meddling, calling people to the hard truths of God's word. Now the second type is more of an outsider. He or she is probably viewed by many within the church as crazy or a bit extreme. However, this type of prophet has the ability to speak truths more freely since he or she exists outside of the system now there are numerous biblical examples of a prophet including amos isaiah jeremiah perhaps even james the brother of jesus in my estimation the best example of a prophet outside of the bible has to be martin luther king jr who called on those who follow jesus to fight for the rights of people of color and to advocate for peace both interpersonally and as a nation, internally with a regard to the rights of minorities, and externally in matters of war. Now here comes the third leadership type in Ephesians 4, and that one is evangelist. If our understanding of a prophet has been hurt as of late, then our idea of an evangelist has been obliterated. I would guess that most of us picture one of two things when we hear the word evangelist we either see a televangelist begging us for money, or we see a traveling salesman type of itinerant preacher wearing a cheap suit and having a fast tongue. These pictures don't necessarily line up with what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 4. There, Paul uses a word which literally means one who shares the good news. So like with an apostle and the prophet, Everyone should be an evangelist. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all peoples wasn't reserved just for a few leaders who are gifted as evangelists. But the fact that Paul listed evangelists among the leaders in Ephesians 4 demonstrates to me that there are some who are gifted in this certain way that makes them most useful for the equipping of the church to do works of service. Who are these gifted leaders? What are they like? Well, these types of leaders that we call evangelists, they crave human connection. They easily make relationships with other people. And they deeply desire those with whom they come into contact to come to experience the good news of Jesus. And these evangelists are not just speakers of the good news, but they're doers of it too, living out the good news of Jesus in their lives as well as simply speaking about it. Now, another important quality of an evangelist is the ability to persuade others through their speech. This doesn't mean trying to convince someone of the truthfulness of the gospel necessarily, or literally trying to scare the hell out of someone. Instead, what I mean is that an evangelist has the uncanny ability to convince people to give Jesus a try by having a relationship first with them. Then, through continued persuasion and relationship, this person, this evangelist, will demonstrate the love of Jesus in such a way so as to make it very attractive. And, when given the opportunity, then speak about Jesus in a way that leads someone to believe and to repent. Now, Paul may be the best example in the Bible of an evangelist, though The Apostle Thomas is too. Think about it. According to church tradition, Thomas shared the good news of Jesus in India, leading many to Christ, so much so that many centuries later, there are still spiritual descendants of Thomas worshiping Jesus in India today. Now, a good example outside of the Bible would be Billy Graham, though, of course, many others would fit this bill as well. What's the fourth leadership type Mentioned in Ephesians 4. It's the word shepherd. When we think of leaders in the church, we may most often think of a shepherd here in North America. This is a person who provides care for members of the church, offering advice and counseling, being a listening ear and a shoulder to cry on. This is the person who encourages and exhorts his or her sheep to grow and who protects them from outside attacks. And shepherds don't just care about their flocks as a whole. They care about each member of the flock as well, investing much time and effort into helping people feel connected to the love of God and to the life of the church. And the sheep don't always have to come to the shepherd, since the shepherd, since he or she, will be in tune with them enough to see and respond to their needs. A shepherd has a high amount of emotional intelligence that allows him or her the ability to be humble and vulnerable while also showing great amounts of empathy toward the feelings of others. The shepherd's primary goal is to see that a local expression of the body of Christ, that is the church, is safe and fulfilling, often going to great personal lengths in order for this to happen. Now, I think a great biblical example of a shepherd would be John. We can see this in his writings, both in his gospel and his letters, that he has this great love for the community which he was part of in the city of Ephesus. At the same time, however, John seeks to protect the community with dire warnings against those who might sneak in from the outside. Modern examples would include most pastors of most churches, men and women, who spend their lives, who pour their lives out in loyalty to the flock that God has given them to oversee. The fifth leadership type in Ephesians 4 is teacher. Of all the gifted leaders of Ephesians 4, the teacher probably needs the least explanation. This is simply a person who takes the teaching them all I have commanded you portion of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 very seriously. They believe it is their calling in life to pore over the scriptures in an effort to learn them so that they can communicate them effectively to others within the church. Often in North American churches, the person who preaches each week is a teacher, expounding on God's word in order to help people understand it and to apply it to their lives. However, there are many other places within the church that teachers can and do operate Many teach in other settings, such as kids programming, Sunday school classes, small groups, etc., etc. Still others are engaged in teaching in more formal settings, such as in Christian grade schools and high schools, Christian colleges and universities, seminaries and grad schools. Still other teacher-type leaders may write curriculum for kids, teens, adults, and others to use in the furthering of their discipleship. Friends, teachers are an essential part for the development of the kingdom of God. Otherwise, it will be hard for it to grow and expand. And, and this is true because the teachers help maintain doctrinal unity and they help train the new and the long-term followers of Jesus in the ways of Jesus himself. In the Bible, there's a man named Apollos who lived in Corinth who was famous for his teaching ability. And in more modern times, people like J. Vernon McGee, Beth Moore, and John MacArthur would probably be considered extraordinary teachers for the church today. Now, I want to offer a few words of evaluation when it comes to the church in North America and the fivefold leadership gifting that Paul lays out in Ephesians 4. First, North American churches are filled to the brim with excellent shepherds and teachers. We really, really, really value our internal community, and the knowledge that can be gained through the study and application of the scriptures. Second, there is a very real dearth of apostles, prophets, and evangelists in our churches today. It's no wonder, therefore, that our churches don't view themselves as dynamic movements and and that they don't serve as a challenge to the status quo. And further, it's no surprise that the average church in America doesn't have any conversion growth, growth each year. Why are these things seemingly true? Well, I think the answer is rather straightforward. The apostles who train us to think like a dynamic movement have been shunned. So they are off starting non-profits and businesses instead. The prophets who challenge us to see past the way things always have been, have been cast off as weirdos and saber-rattlers. And the evangelists we need to remind us of the power of persuasion have either been quieted, gone off on their own or work as salespeople or marketers for other organizations. It's certainly time that we let these leaders back in so that we all can be fully equipped to do the works of service that Jesus has set out for us. Here's a third evaluation. We have made these gifted leaders into superstars who have skills that are unattainable for the rest of us. However, the truth is that each and every single one of us can be one of these leaders. We may not always be called to be a prophet, and we might not be able to attain the lofty accomplishments of someone like Martin Luther King Jr., but we can say something is wrong when we see it. And we may not be able to build worldwide movements of God that last for more than a 100 years, but we can allow God to use us to create a movement of Jesus' followers in our families, at our jobs, etc. I hope you get the picture. It's not just the famous people who are or who can be the, the leaders listed in Ephesians 4. Don't let the fact that Billy Graham is an example of an evangelist prevent you from sharing and being the good news to someone where you work, live, and play. Now lastly, I want to talk briefly about how we can better cultivate this five-fold approach to church leadership especially since what we seem to have cultivated is just two-fifths of it, just the shepherds and the teachers. So, what can we do? Well, we can make space for people who stretch us. It's no surprise that the apostles, prophets, and evangelists are the first to be tossed aside. They are often viewed as too radical and put too much spotlight on the church. Instead of doing this, why don't we make space for them, to begin to learn from them, The church in North America is already experiencing diminishing returns. What do we have to lose? Here's another thing. Our formal education system needs to better accommodate and train all different sorts of leader types. As it is now, we have class after class after class in seminary about preaching, teaching, pastoral care, pastoral counseling, etc., etc. Almost nothing is ever said about sharing the gospel in a personal way. Almost nothing is taught about how to change our cities by the power of the gospel. And almost nothing at all is said about how to build relationships while being persuasive for the good news of Jesus. And one more thing. We as church members could demand that the people we hire to serve as ministers within our congregation represent all of the leadership that Jesus has prepared for us and not just two-fifths of it. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for exploring the topic of Ephesians 4 and leaders with me. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And also, check out my website, jmatthewbarnes.com. That's j-a-y-matthewbarnes.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the creative process that helps bring this podcast to life, then please check out my Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com slash jmatthewbarnes. That's the letter J, Matthew Barnes. There are some fun rewards there for folks who pledge support, although any level of support will be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for your time, grace, and peace.